Welcome to the Panjiva Daily. We bring you data-driven insights into global trade events and a review of our recent research. I'm Chris Rogers, Panjiva's trade analyst, and here's what's on for May the 25th. Hapag Lloyd has finally completed its acquisition of UASC. We estimate that it's paid over two times revenues, a premium to Maersk's bid for Hamburg Sud. Also, we find out what we learned about steel yesterday, and we, we review what wines Americans have been importing. Let's get started with logistics, where Hamburg Lloyd has completed its all-share acquisition of United Arab Shipping. That follows a process that was launched in July 2016. It's the first of three major deals to be completed this year, the others being the 3J merger of the three Japanese shippers and Maersk's purchase of Hamburg Sud. The combined entity will be the fifth largest globally once its deals are complete, though it will fall behind 3J once the latter completes its capacity expansion programme. Our analysis of the deal terms and the company's financial statements show that Hapag Lloyd's payment is equivalent to 2.1 times UASC's sales. Now that compares to 0.7 times for Maersk's bid for Hamburg Sud and an average of one time sales for the container line industry as traded on the stock market. The price therefore presumably includes a strategic premium for accessing UASC's routes, as well as a share of the value of any synergies, for example cost cutting or higher revenues, that might be generated. On the topic of investments, Port Everglades in Florida will invest just under $440 million to add five new berths and two new cranes. That comes against the backdrop of investment across the industry, including major projects in ports in New York and Virginia on the East Coast alone. Our data shows that the Port Everglades has been one of the fastest expanding in the region. Import handling in the 12 months to April 30th was 12%, far outstripping Jacksonville's 5% expansion and Miami's 3% contraction. Port authorities will be keen to keep up with the growth in the larger ports to the north, including Savannah, which expanded by more than 10%, despite already being nearly three times the size of Port Everglades. Moving on now to trade policy, there are two items on steel and one on sugar to watch. Firstly, there were few surprises in the US government hearings into the Section 232 review of the steel industry's trade patterns yesterday. Notably though, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross has called for a completion of the investigation by the end of June. That will likely mean further trade cases on specific steel products may occur over the summer. Those would add to the 17 active cases in steel already underway. Our analysis of the top 2,000 US product country import pairs shows that imports from Brazil, Russia, the EU, South Africa and Taiwan are all potential targets for new cases. Secondly, the US ITC will apply duties on Spanish exports of carbon steel flanges after start deciding that the US industry was materially harmed. That parallels a similar case made against Indian exports and comes in the context of all those other steel cases I've just mentioned. Our data shows that total US imports fell by two-thirds from their peak in 2015 in the first quarter. Now this is quite a niche case, so why do we care? The important point is import prices. Now these are a potential proxy for domestic sales and they increased 15% in the first quarter compared to a year earlier. So while the petitioners, who include Boltex and Wellbend, may have been protected by this case, their customers' costs may actually have risen. Moving to South America, 
the Brazilian government may be close to reaching a new quota agreement for sugar exports to China. That follows new tariffs imposed by the Chinese government that I talked about earlier this week. This is a particularly important move for Brazil, given that extra Mexican volumes may come onto world markets if a deal with the US can't be reached. Our data shows that Brazilian exports of sugar to China already fell by 15% on a year earlier in the 12 months to March 31st. And that compares to a 19% growth in their global exports, and meant that China now represents just 6% of the Brazilian total. Briefly now on economics. German managers' export optimism in May reached the highest since January 2014, according to IFO. That was partly driven by a growth in exports seen in March, and is a bit of a contrast to the small drop in the outlook of French managers that we saw last week. However, both are likely feeling more positive after recent election results, and the fact that Brexit complications, if you like, won't bite for another 22 months. The increased optimism from a sector perspective has been led by electronics, while auto industry managers became more optimistic despite the falling US auto sales. Changing tack, and with a very early view to the forthcoming holiday weekend, we followed up yesterday's report on the beer industry with one on wine, and here's a brief summary. Americans' taste for foreign wine is expanding. Our data shows that imports grew by 10% on a year earlier in the first quarter and reached their second highest level ever in March. Demand increased for wines from Portugal and Canada, while Chile and Argentina fell out of favour. The industry remains highly fragmented, unlike beer, and our data shows that the top 10 importers only accounted for 30% of imports by sea. That means that competition is fierce, even though the two largest suppliers, Giorgio Gori and J.F. Hillebrand, are seven times the size of the next largest player. Exports, meanwhile, of wine from the US are also in decline. They've fallen nearly 20% in the first quarter, which is likely due to the strong dollar. And remember, the UK is the largest buyer of US wine. Exports to Canada have also fallen, and that's led to a trade case that's been lodged by the US at the WTO by the Obama administration against Canada's retail rules. However, the Trump administration so far has yet to progress this. Finally, coming back to trade policy and looking ahead, President Trump's first overseas visit will end with attendance at the G7 summit from tomorrow. We published a preview of this last week, but here's a quick summary. The prior G20 meeting began to change its tone on trade protectionism at the behest of US Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. President Trump's meeting with the G7 has the potential for an even harsher tone. As a reminder, the president sees trade deficits as a key metric for success in trade. However, the US runs a trade deficit with all but one of the G7 members, which is the UK. That deficit in total was nearly $232 billion in the 12 months to March 31st. While that was 6% below its November 2014 peak, the tone of the meeting will be vital in determining future trade dealings. His interaction in visits from the leaders of Canada, Japan, which resulted in new trade dialogue, and Germany were much more collaborative than initial rhetoric had suggested. If you want to read that report, or find out more about our research, just head over to pangeva.com. Thanks very much for listening.